Welcome to the Health and Wealth Power Hour, the podcast provides you with the knowledge and insights you need to achieve physical, mental, and financial well-being. I'm your host, Arlen Pickett, a business consultant who's passionate about helping people achieve a more balanced and healthier life. Each week, we'll deep dive into topics related to health and wealth, including retirement income planning, innovative healthcare solutions, alternative funded health plans, and specific actions individuals and business owners can take to gain control of their finances, have access to affordable quality health care, and achieve peace of mind. We'll also be joined by innovative experts who will share their knowledge and insights on prevalent topics. So, whether you're looking to grow your wealth or improve your health, you've come to the right place. Get ready to be informed, inspired, and empowered. Let's get started. All right, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Health and Wealth Power Hour. I am so glad you had an opportunity to be with us today. Man, we got a good one for you. No doubt about it, you are going to enjoy listening to this gentleman. He has got an incredible story to tell you. Jason Pike is going to join us today. This gentleman had a distinguished career in the arms, armed forces. He's going to tell you about that because it really never should have happened. Wait, what do you mean it shouldn't have happened? Well, that's all part of the unique story of Jason Pike. Jason, welcome aboard, sir. Hey, thank you very much. I'm honored to be on your show. But yeah, you're right about that. It shouldn't have happened technically, but it did. <laughs> it did. Um, it shouldn't have happened. And uh, from uh, what limited understanding I have right now, um, the, arm, the Army tried to end it a few times uh, prematurely too, didn't they? Three different times. Some of it was my three different times. Some of it was my fault, and some of it was not my fault. But no, uh, no. Early in life, I was considered a, a disabled learner. I mean, I couldn't get my. I failed the first grade uh, or English, English writing, and that is my worst subject. And uh, yeah, so I've got three different times in my life where I nearly got kicked out of the army. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And here's a little tidbit for you guys. Whenever we got on the uh, the pre-show today and we started talking to one another, turns out we're about 10 to 15 miles away from each other. Uh, we had no idea that both of us were living in the north of San Antonio area around Bull Verde, Texas. Look for it on the map if you want to. It's a little bitty spot, but both of us live right on the fringes of that. And so very interesting that neither one of us knew that we live so close to one another, but it is a, uh, it's exciting to get to talk to you, sir. Your story is very inspirational in the fact that you overcame obstacles that most people would have just, I'm not saying everyone would have gave up, but man, it seemed like there was just no way you were going to overcome what you did. And, and the fact that you started overcoming those at such a young age, absolutely remarkable so take us a little bit about that early life journey yeah exactly it's uh no one would I, I just can't imagine anybody surviving what i did i mean i'm not a navy seal special forces even though i served in though but i had i had disadvantages early on in life first of all uh seventh grade failed first for, failed first grade a professional letter came back from emory university in atlanta georgia they took me down there to test me and says you know, your son, me, uh, he ain't he ain't getting it together. There's something wrong with him on understanding things. And, and that's true, even to this day. 
Um, and at the same time, physical I had a bone disease. It was called osteomyelitis uh, that occurred around that when I was about nine years old. So I was given a special, I, there was not a whole lot of expectations. My parents were supportive of me, but they were not going to put any pressure on me that I'm going to make some sort of a, you know, mark on the society at all. And uh, which was understandable coming from the doctors and the academic professionals. So my dad just says, you know, whatever you do in life, you just never give up on anything. And uh, he, he taught by example. Uh, my father uh, it was a great example. Uh, he came from a, a very white trash uh, environment, meaning it was more everybody years ago in the South were all poor, but he had a different level of poverty. I, I did. I always had food and I always had a you know roof over my head, but he said, you know, I can't. He, he was an orphan, basically a bastard child that moved around from place to place. Uh, and he just taught, he taught us by example, just don't ever give up. And, uh, but no, that's kind of where it went. And um, there was, as I went through high school, uh, I was average. There was, there was no, nowhere near 10%. You're looking at 40% in a school from South Carolina, which was just above Mississippi in the rankings of the nation. We weren't that, uh, we weren't that astute. I mean, we weren't that, uh, there was not a lot of scholars coming out of where I came from. And uh, so, uh, and, I, and I was like, uh, just average. Uh, but it, I had so many professionals say, just don't, I mean, there's no way to go to college. And I believed it. I, and, I mean, yeah. There's no way. So you join the army and I didn't join the active duty army. I joined a less than best at the time organization, which was the National Guard. A National Guard's a bunch of we were a bunch of rednecks out of South Carolina. Yahoo's and, uh, you know, you know, drinking beer one week in a month, two weeks a year. Uh, that's kind of how we did it. And I started at the bottom at age 17 without any High school. I was in. I was still in high school. You didn't even have to have a high school diploma. A good question would be like, how if you had all these problems, how did you pass the entrance exam, physically and mentally? And uh, yeah, like I said, it was a good old boy system. You just pat. They just passed you on. <laughs> they just passed you on into that. And once you're in the, once you got your foot in the door, even if it's in a less than best, you, your foot is in the door. That's how those early years occurred and how I was able just to get my foot in the door initially. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that, that's very interesting because you, you, let me see if I understand this right. You actually joined because you really didn't think you had any other options. You were, you were told by doctors, you were told by administrators in school that this is it. This is the best you can ever hope for. Exactly. And yeah. you didn't go for the big boy army because you didn't think you could get in the big boy army at the first. You had to go yeah. to the good old boy, good old boy yeah. army to try to finagle your way in there to see, and then kind of take uh take the temperature of what happened there before you could see where am I going from here. Exactly, it was just a foot in the door. It was a weekend. We were weekend warriors, and uh, yeah. Matter of fact, we drank and shot at the same time. You know, we we were different type of uh, army. We weren't the real army. It was it was a strange type of beast. But no, we, we had different procedures and things. And so, no, it, exactly. I just get my foot in the door. I didn't even think I was going to be in the military a long time. I thought, eh, easy paycheck. They might train me to do something. Maybe I'll get better at whatever. And uh, 
maybe I'll find a civilian job. Maybe uh, be working at a bait and tackle shop. I've been thinking, and uh, or or working in agriculture, uh, something like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, what what's interesting to me is the story is not. I was told. I was told that you can't do this, and I and uh, they beat me down, and I said i don't believe any of you i've got a degree from mit and i you know no no, no that's you really got in the door and then started a very methodical trip up the chain up up the chain of command and up the ladder up the you you did it kind of an old-fashioned put your nose to the grindstone grind through the entire process here we go and it, what it turned out and what you found out is the sky was the limit, right? Exactly. And that occurred when I was at age 17 going on 18. And at the time, the sky is the limit type of, it was, I didn't, it, it, my, my brain was, I nearly got kicked out in basic training in 1983 at Fort Sill, Oklahoma, because I wasn't able to drink the fire coming out of the fire hose. And to me at the time, basic training was really, really hard. It was a, Full metal jacket type of deal. World War II barracks. To me, it was to me it was hell. I and I and it was really the mental part. Physically, I was able to manage that, but it was the mental part of the how to tr transitioning from a civilian to a soldier. Um, the bottom line is, I went to a criminal correctional facility. Not that I did anything criminal, but they wanted to try to break me, and it was a different. It doesn't happen. It really doesn't happen. But it happened. <laughs> it, I, they, they went ahead and said it was a drug deal they sent me to try to scare me straight with another the, the, the lowest of the privates and i was the lowest and they sent me into some other guy named sammy and uh we went over there and uh they just just broke us down as far as mental and physical uh at a different degree of hell i came back and then eventually i did graduate from basic training at the age of 18 a newly formed 18 year old brain was thinking you know I don't care about what people are saying. I think, and I only said this to myself. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't blast it out because my brain was still processing the hell I went through. I'm thinking if I went through that, I think I can go through much more than that because nobody would ever, if I could explain what I went through, which I couldn't at the time, uh, I, I, <laughs> I think that uh, I can do a lot more. And I started to think, Maybe there's a different way to go to college. Maybe you can go to a junior college where they take anybody lame, lazy, or crazy or anything. Uh, and so I said, well, uh, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to a junior college and then I'll transfer up to a more reputable university. And, and it's going to be slower. Uh, exactly. It's going to be slower. It's going to be methodical. It ain't going to be in engineering. It might be is an education, something easy, but I'll, whatever it took to get the college degree. I think I think I got the military kind of I kind of I got a hold on that because I went through hell and but now I need my degree I was gonna I was forming in my mind I could do much more and become an officer that's a military leader is what I was thinking yeah well, well and and that's interesting because when you got really you got in it was just something to do right but now that you were there you started formulating a plan yeah. So yeah. This is literally the first steps that I'm sure that you talk about in your book, a soldier against all odds. Oh, it's, yeah. it's, it had to start somewhere. Right. So now you're really on the path of becoming a soldier. 
I'm becoming a soldier and then eventually a leader. Yes, exactly. That's what that's what I was on. And I and my and my I didn't brag about it to anybody. I didn't say anything to anybody because it was all very, very uh if I would just <laughs> and I did there were so sometimes I mentioned it to a few people and they said, You're crazy as hell. There's no way in the hell you could do that. And, and but I just thought, you know, um, I mean my my section sergeant, uh, well, his name's Mark, but he's a good guy. He's in my book. I told him I was going to go to a university, I'm thinking, and he 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 was drinking a beer and he almost fell off the ammunition can, our artillery. And he's like, he's like, no way in hell, you, you ain't going to do shit, which is <laughs> more and more. I was like, you know, you know, I think I can. And then so that kind of made me like, oh, that gave me some motivation. I'm thinking, yeah, yeah. I can prove them all wrong. Uh, I, you know, in this book, I'm not trying to prove everybody wrong, but I, I did. <laughs> but but I, I'm just saying that I, I went against the odds and I defied a lot of odds. And, and, and in many ways, when you're in the odds, it's sort of like, OK, let's see what I can do now. Maybe maybe I can. But it, it was a little little thing in my head. I was like, yeah, I can prove them. I can prove them something, you know. So but that's it. Uh, I didn't want to come across that way, but but I kind of did. <laughs> so, sure. Yeah, sure. Well, as you started down this journey, uh, you know, as you, uh, I know that you were deployed, that you oh. spent uh, a, quite a bit of time, in fact, uh, overseas. Mm -hmm. So talk a little bit about those early years in, as you're making that move to the, the years that really started forming your leadership, right? I mean, now we're talking about leadership because- once you get into the different dynamics now of the army and you're not sitting around drinking a cold beer, you know, shooting, shooting guns. Now it's, it's the army, it's the real deal. And now you're also talking about the real deal of you're being deployed. There's a whole lot, whole different world that's being involved now. So talk about that and then how that affected your mindset. In, in, in many ways, it's treating people right and uh, getting the best out of the people and, and doing what they'll do. In other words, you're not too good for them. You're humble and you'll do what they got to do. And so I had to rely on my uh, non-commissioned officer, the subordinate leadership that I had with me to guide me and to respect me and to follow me. And I would get their advice to, so I'm a, I'm a very new guy and uh, you've got sergeants or subordinate leaders out there that have 30, 20, 30, 40 years and or many, many years. And you, sometimes you might wonder, well, why am I leading somebody so experienced? Well, that's just the way it happens. You are the leader. And so you 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 maintain a good relationship with them and you get their support and you treat them right. They'll give you good guidance. OK, and so you don't treat them bad. You treat them good. You treat them right. Respect. And respect goes both ways and you're not a, an authority yes you're i'm in the military and i can and i can put things down but and and i and i went off that i i treated them right and i i did really well in leadership positions now don't tell me to go change a light bulb because i'll probably get myself electrocuted <laughs> but i was really good managing people that did things that are detailed and so <laughs> i was not a detailed person and uh and i i took care of people i could care for them and things of that and groom them and uh and i did well on those type of jobs and that's and my key was the subordinate leadership my ncos my non-commissioned officers those were my keys to success. And even in my retirement ceremony, I dedicated pretty much everything to my subordinate uh, NCOs 
which, you know, respect goes both ways. It goes both ways. And uh, they took care of me and I took care of them. Yeah, that's kind of how my early years formed. And that's how my whole career sort of went off from there, just taking care of people, really. Yeah. yeah. Well, we, we know that your first kind of run in, the first opportunity that you, that the, that the Army in this case uh, had to kind of get you out of the system failed during boot camp. But there is a couple other instances. So let's uh, let's talk about that. Even though you're now yeah. going down the right path, you still didn't always make the best decisions. No, I was kind of a rebel rogue character, which is not good in the military. <laughs> and, you, <laughs> and I had a little bit of a wild hair sometimes. Because see, especially in my younger years, it was like, all right, you told me I can't get a college education. I got one. You told me I can't. And so I kind of thought that I was, uh, above the law. I mean, the one is I still respected my soldiers, but I felt that I could get away with anything. I didn't have to, you know, I felt that I, I could do everything. And yet it's good to have a self-confidence. My, my, my confidence went really high. And I thought, well, I was drinking and driving and here in San Antonio, Texas, uh, this was in 1990, 1995. And this was a bad time. I mean, I mean, mothers against drunk driving, and it was—I mean, it was still considered bad at that time. There, there are certain things in the military you just don't do. We have a certain—we have a higher level of standard of behavior, especially among officers. And so I was down here—I was in San Antonio drinking and driving, and I was a captain. I was, and uh, and uh, they pulled me over, and uh, basically I was cuffed and stuffed and sent downtown, and. Basically, the conventional wisdom at the time is that you're, and I knew it, you are going to get kicked out. You're going to get processed out. And that's the end. It is the end. Um, and I accepted that. But I found out, someone told me that you can appeal it and got to go through some special uh, procedures and it's going to take a long time. And I said, okay, I'll give that a try, which he said, it's a long shot. But I went ahead and went through a two-year procedure to get this bad boy. I had a general officer memorandum of reprimand. It was from a general officer saying, you're basically fucked. And and so I had to go through a procedure to, to have them lift that off the record. And I did. And it was a long process. And a lot of people would have given up. Your name is mud. I mean, your, your name becomes mud. They know it, even though they try to keep it secret, it's done. And I lifted it off. It. And uh, once I lifted off it, I was able to get my promotions and the successes that went on from there. But no, that was a bad time. And I expected uh, from conventional people that it was going to be that I was toast. I was basically toast. And I was for a little while. But then I went through the procedures. And uh, I don't know if it, I know a lot of people think if you get screamed and yelled at and you have to do all these pushups and get abused, they would give up. But this was a two year administrative process that was in and out of damn courts for a, a period of time that I think a lot of people also would not do or wouldn't want to put up with, but I did it and I got it and I was able to continue my career in the military. Yeah. And it obviously went on for quite a while then. So you overcame that obstacle and then, I mean, you kept on going for quite a while. It wasn't yeah. uh, it wasn't like, okay, well now that I got past that, I'll go ahead and retire now that I, that I, you know, that I've cleared my, my name, I'll just go ahead and get out anyway. No, that wasn't part of it. You did yeah. this so that you could continue with your career. Yeah, I, I did this. I, I, I felt that this was the only thing I was successful at. And I thought that I, there's no other way. And uh, this, uh, you know, uh, 
I don't want to go back home. And it's like, you know, this is, this was it. And uh, I was going to give it all I can. And uh, I did. And I, and I, I, you, you probably don't know many people in the military that has a GOMAR, G, not GOMAR Powell, but GOMAR, GOMAR General Officer Memorandum or Reprimand. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a paper that is really bad. That's from a general that says you're fucked. And so, but <laughs> it goes on you. And then, well, but a lot of people, even that, that are kind of technically astute to the military, when I tell them the story, they're like, oh, geez, they've never heard of this. And they're like, this is, this is the Herculean task to get a general memorandum, uh, a memo just saying you're, and I got it off and it's done. And uh, so I, I, I was surprised. I mean, I was happily surprised, uh, pleasantly right. surprised. And, and, and so were people. The people were looking at me in the military like, how the hell did he do that? <laughs> so, <'cause> like, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, talk a little bit about your deployments. Talk a little bit about your adventures overseas. Uh, what, that part of your career taught you? Oh, I loved being overseas. I have nine years overseas in five different countries. Um, the countries are, of course, we know Afghanistan, Germany, um, Canada, El Salvador twice, and Korea three different times, and other places I can't talk about. But I have a lot of places that I've been to overseas, and I, you know, hindsight 2020, I should have probably just stayed overseas in some place, but for the most part, they were very good assignments, the food, the culture, the everything. It was just wild. And I enjoyed it very much. And I got into it very well. I had two deployments to El Salvador uh, in the 90s when I was a young man. And um, of course, uh, six years I lived overseas in Korea, South Korea as a station and then Afghanistan one year, but Canada. But um, I've got stories from Germany was kind of tame and not, not too much going on there, uh, just two years in Germany. But I've got a whole lot of stories I could go into uh, how you want to how how we want to approach this on, the, on these on these type of things. <laughs> well, I understand that you were stuck in a hole in South Korea. Yeah, yeah it doesn't sound like it was a fun place to be. Uh, from just a little bit that I read about it, it doesn't sound like it was fun. But how did you end up in the hole, and how the heck did you get out? Yes, again, this is uh, I did a sometimes in crisis situations I do pretty well, <laughs> which is I've been in a lot. Of crisis but, uh, yeah, I was I was there's a term we use it's called being neck deep in shit and uh, or being up the creek. Well, I've literally been there. I mean, I've literally fell in a cesspool in South Korea. Um, the situation was it was 1994. I was in my late 20s. And uh, we were doing an exercise to demonstrate your land navigation skills. Land navigation is finding points in the day or the night, reading a map and a compass. You have to do it by yourself to figure out how to get to, from place to place, uh, point to point. And um, this is a common soldier skill. And I was doing it. I was, and I was pretty good at it. Matter of fact, I've done it so many times in the military. Um, but uh, it was at night, and I could smell it. Uh, there was a cesspool of of shit that they used that at that time to uh, line the ditches to uh, fertilize the crops, uh, you know, the rice crops. And so I purposely tried to stay away from it. But it's at night. We're not allowed to use flashlights. And I slipped. It's slippery. I slipped, slipped on my back, my ass, and I slid into the embankment, went into it neck deep. I was in, it was at night and I was alone in a foreign country. The first, really the first real foreign country I'd been, I'd only been there a few months. And uh, 
you know, and you're, and I, and I was, <laughs> you're not allowed to yell out or anything. No, you're there. You're alone. You're, you're by yourself there. And uh, even if I yelled, nobody's going to come because we had strict instructions on this exercise. So here I am, I'm going down neck deep in shit. My last name is Pike, and they're going to call me Poop and Pike. Pike dies and poop. And <laughs> I never had a family, never had a wife. I don't know. I haven't. As I come on, like I, I'm going to die in this shit. And so, um, well, um, I, I, I decided to do a caterpillar movement, kind of in a 45 degree angle, being very slow. It was a quicksand type of material. And I got up and I, I kept it above my, I didn't let it go into my mouth or my nose, but it was around the chin area. And then I low crawled out of it. Once I got out of it, um, I bellied up. I, I got back, I got on my back. I looked up at the stars or whatever. And I said, God, why do you, why do you put me in this shit? And I'm a mob and shit covered in it. And um, then I had another problem. And what my thought was, I don't want anybody to know about it because they're going to evacuate me out from a medical case, and then I'll be laughed at. They'll laugh at me, and, and there'll be stories and everything else. I said, uh, so i got to save my face. i got to save my embarrassment, but I don't know how to do it. And so I said, well, I'm going to find a Korean out there somewhere, even though we're not supposed to do it. Uh, we're not supposed to go talk to the Koreans. I said, well, i got to have help, and I don't want it to be American because they'll talk. So I went to a Korean family, a farmhouse, and I knocked on the door. I was covered in shit. And the woman comes to the house, looks at me and goes, and then, uh, so I, their English was not necessary. Uh, they know that I'm in an emergency situation. So uh, <laughs> there was a lot of hand language and hand signs. I was like, and uh, she told me to, well, hand language. She, she motioned me to strip naked. And I did in front of a complete strange woman I've never met. And I gave her everything except my weapon, my map. And my compass, I stayed, I kept those and I was butt naked, gave it all to her. She motioned that she was going to clean it up and deliver it to me the next morning. And I walked back to camp butt naked and, uh, and I tried to stay away from people that were out there in their exercises while I was walking around at night because I didn't want them to see me walking naked or they could smell me too, maybe. So I didn't want them to do any of that. I didn't want anything. So I went back to camp. Before they got back and took my stuff out and slept under the stars and the fairy godmother, the Ajima, the Ajima of that house, she came back and she delivered the clothes to me uh, that morning. Uh, and I just did this off of a gut type of an instinct type of thing. And uh, I, you know, thankful that she did it. And uh, they were wondering why I had such clean uniforms that next morning. Other than that, <laughs> <laughs> That, that was about it and uh that's the you know the, I, you know almost died in shit that, but i got out and then i i saved my face um i failed the course but i did two three two out of three i did two things out of three uh you know so i was i was pretty successful in my mind of doing it so. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh that is absolutely crazy uh, you also had a faulty parachute one time Faulty parachute that was um, not, this was kind of an ethical problem in a way. Um, it was more of a uh, a bad leadership person giving me bad orders, and it could have gone very, very faulty. Um, I was in the 10th Special Forces Group as a support officer, not a Grand Beret. These are the snake eaters and the, you know, the, special, the big guys, but uh, I was supporting them, and I jumped with them, I lived with them, but 
when I, we were jump when we were getting on the airplane to jump, jumping out of airplanes as parachute jumping, and I had been airborne qualified for some time. But um, this guy, my leader, my officer in charge, told me and only me. I don't know why, but uh, he says we're going to do something different. I said, "What's that, sir?" Well, we're going to turn away from the wind. We're going to go into the wind. In other words, we're going away. We're going to fly with the wind. I said, sir, uh, my training in airborne school at Fort Benning, Georgia, told me not to do that. Hundreds, we, it was beat into our, you're not supposed to. I said, sir, are you sure about this? We're supposed to go into the wind to kind of slow our descent down to get to the target zone. No, 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 no. We're going to do, we're going to turn away. We're going to go flying with the winds. He told me that two, three different times. And he was only telling it to me. Well, I was a junior guy. So I don't know. Maybe he knew that this dumbass will do what I tell him anyway. I don't know. I shouldn't have done it, but I did it. And um, so when we jumped out of the airplane, everybody in the airplane did the right thing that they're trained to do, which was to turn their parachute into the wind and go toward the target. We're doing the other thing, going hauling ass across the landscape with the wind and not going toward the target where we're supposed to go to and we just go flying and now he's the leader he's got many many jumps and he's telling me to do the wrong thing and i just say yes sir i'll go with you and we did and uh um if we were going so fast that if we were to hit a limb or a house a lake house or anything that was land we were going toward the water but if we were to hit anything that was land we would have been injured or broken up but at the last minute I decided to turn my parachute into the direction to keep myself going to the water and not hit the land. And I did it in about three foot of water. If I would have hit the land, I would have been dead or injured. Um, he did the same thing. And I don't know. And I, I, I knew he told me to do the wrong thing. He was giving me an order that was against our training. I did it. And I almost got, we almost got, I almost got hurt. I should have, he, I mean, he has so many jumps. He had done so many times. He probably knew what he was doing more than I was, but I just looked up and did it. And they were cussing me out. And then the Zodiacs came to pick me up and it said, Hey, Lieutenant, you dumbass. Why in the hell did you do this shit? And I said, well, the, the damn, the major there, he was the one who told me to do it. And I said, and I said, he, he told me direct orders many times to do what he was going to do. And, 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 and so they just looked and just, okay, whatever. And uh, they didn't want to talk to him. They talked to me. They cussed me out. He was a little high leadership, but, um, yeah. <laughs> but how that happened. And uh, I, I, almost, I, 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 I was able to save myself out of there. I never asked him why uh, this happened, why he did that. I stayed away from him because I was, I know he did the wrong, he, he told me to do the wrong thing. And uh, I had some hints from, from other people saying, you know, this guy's kind of weird anyway. So I didn't know and say, so, okay, well, I know he's weird now. So, so, so yeah, the, uh, maybe he wanted a cheap thrill. I don't know what it was. <laughs> so, yeah. Huh. Wow. That, that's crazy. That's, uh, you know, when, when something like that happens, it goes completely against what you're expecting. You know, I, I think the other side of that is though, uh, Jason is, I expected you to tell me you went that direction and everyone else went the other way, including him, but he didn't, you were literally following him. So he was taking his own advice such mm -hmm. as it were, but your assumption there is because he had so much experience that he felt he was going to be safe anyway, that he could overcome doing the wrong thing and right itself. Right. right. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. We were the only ones that did the wrong thing. And I was just following his guidance. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
Yeah, but it is interesting that the other fellas that because of his rank, they weren't willing to question him. No, they were not. No, they. Yeah. He, he, I think, and they 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 told me at that time, yeah, you know, this guy's a little strange. And but they only told me that after this shit happened. I was like, well, you know, it's a little bit too late. <laughs> it's like it could. Have been. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Distance and away from him, and I didn't. I just sort of n- nothing like that ever happened again with us, and so that was it. <laughs> wow. All right. So you served your long career. You had lots of obviously uh, uh, colorful adventures here and there, but like many folks that are long-term in the military and really a lot some of the folks that are short-term, you had to transition back to civilian life. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And like many folks, you found out that's not always the easiest thing to do. There is a lot of things you have to deal with, um, you know, whether that is, how am I going to get my health care now, uh, working with the VA? How am I going to transition into being a civilian again after spending so long in a very structured environment? Uh, we hear about it all the time. Uh, you know, we, we at Eagle Care have supported a number of organizations that help folks that are in the military in that transition to get back into civilian life. But talk about a little bit about what it was like for you and there had to be something in there that really then inspired you to write your second book, which is yeah. based yeah. on that transition. It's a guidebook to help folks that are in the military make that transition. Yeah. So my first book that we talked about was, you know, a soldier against all odds. This is a very sexy, wild and crazy book of my adventures and my memoir, my heart that you see of all the crazy stories that I've been through um, so it's a good memoir. Now, the second book where we're going into is Out of the Uniform and Back into Civilian Life. So this is a transitional book, and it's more of a shorter book, more of a self-help. It's a guide, more of a self-help guide for the most part. So so when I was coming out of the military, I had 31 years. I didn't know, I, and I went through the transitional classes. My focus pretty much was to get that money, um, so to get that VA. And so I did pretty well getting the VA, which I speak about getting the veterans benefits and things of that nature. I didn't understand where my purpose in life was going to be. And um, I speak about that a little bit in the book, but here on the podcast, I didn't know where my niche was because I'd been in the army for 31 years. And it took me a feeling around for a few, three, four, five years to figure out what it was. And I found out being an author and, and, and following my passion, which which took me a while because to break out, to, to go into a creative zone, which, I you know, we pretty much do what we're told in the Army and to go into a heart zone is really difficult for me being a Southern male and also being structured in the military. We don't give our feelings out too well, but I went ahead and jumped into that. But more importantly for veterans, um, I feel that they should get the most out of their transitional program that they have if they've got one. Um, A lot of them now have mandatory transitional classes. Max it out. Go to it more than once with different people. 
If you can, try to go to it three or four different times from different people. Find out what you can get from them because it's more than just the VA. The VA is huge, and a lot of soldiers and military people out there, no, no, VA, that's not for me. I didn't go to combat. Well, that's not true because, you know, you served, you're a veteran, and you do deserve it. Even if it's a 0%, they'll figure it out. And, you know, and so a lot of people don't think they deserve it, but they do deserve it because you served. Once you served, you're a veteran. You, if there's benefits for you, the vet, they'll figure it out. Well, you know, I don't, you know, the VA sucks. I understand that. Maybe it does suck. But the thing is, is there's more to just the benefit. There's more to just health care with the VA. <laughs> there's free shit. There's free trips. There's, uh, it goes on. There's, it's, it's the largest it's more than just healthcare and it's more than just money, which the money was, I was thinking the money for the most part, not the healthcare. I was looking at the money. And so, but there's a lot to it that there's second order benefits to being rated as a veteran that's disabled, which I don't even like the term disability, but that's the way they use it. It doesn't mean you can't go to work. Matter of fact, being disabled will probably give you a higher echelon of, uh, you know, priority of placement being disabled veteran. That's how some of those things work. So I go into that, that I was looking, you know, to, and, and I learned a lot with the transitional classes about how the VA, I didn't know what to do for a few years. I was just looking at that money. And then I found out, well, my passion is this writing and getting my books out and things of that nature. And that's where I quit a job working for uh, the government, making over 80000 a year. And now I'm probably losing money writing books. But no, I mean, but, no, but I, 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 uh, that's what I wanted to do. And, um, and so it's whatever you can find your passion. I would just maximize those transitional classes. And if you have to get out and go to the VA and get a good veteran service officer to represent you, and always just with the VA, I, I understand it's a nightmare sometimes, but you just got to keep on going and keep on knocking at the door and uh, never give up on that. Yeah. Yeah. Pre uh, once again, perseverance is key to working with any government entity, quite honestly. And so just like you did whenever you were starting your career, as you found out, as you were ending your career, perseverance is also what you have to do when you when you're leaving and all of a sudden you're trying to get all the benefits that you're entitled to and you're dealing with the government which is just uh, you know such a behemoth uh, so much red tape so many paperwork so many things that you have to do but i love what you are saying there you got to stick to it uh you know i think there's a lot of people that don't get their benefits mm -hmm. oh yeah especially what they deserve and all the benefits that they deserve because they just get frustrated with the system. They just oh, yeah. get frustrated with it. It is not easy. It is not designed to be easy. And I'll be honest with you, I don't think it ever will be. <laughs> well, that's the way the government is. I mean, that's just the way. And I mean, it's. it's I, I, I think if you were in the military, you see a little bit of it. But once you get out and deal with a total civilian population of government officials, it's even more that way. And you just got to, once you put your... Pack it in. That's where it starts. Even though you might go through ups and downs and this and that, and if it if it takes two three years, you get the back pay. And a lot of people will think, well, I don't know how to make a living. Well, you have to you might have to work. You might have to do something else. But at least you got it in there. You got the seat in there, and then you just keep with that. And um, you know, there's other options. You can go to uh, you can pay attorneys. I, I don't advise that. I would I would advise you to stick with a good. Uh, service organizations such as
as American Legion, disabled American veterans, or VFW, anybody who's good that knows their stuff to get that and represent you. You know, I don't know the tax system. I take mine to a good representable tax person that helps me out. And that's what you ought to do and put that. Now, I was in a situation in Germany where there was nobody there to help me to put my packet together. And that's why I wrote this book, because I had to do it the hard way, which which I don't advise. I, I advise you to get somebody to help you. But I went through the hard way and I had to fill out everything and do all my stuff. But uh, I learned a lot that way and I don't advise it. But that's one of the reasons I put the book together, which I feel I'm pretty knowledgeable about. I don't know everything, but I'm not certified. But I, I went through it the hard way and hard knocks. And um, I, I just think if you can find somebody and everybody was fired, there was nobody... Everybody had gone like, I don't want to help you. I was like, okay, well, I'll do it my damn self, which was, took me a long time. And I did it, but I, I I came out very well, put it that way. Yeah. And, you know, um, I don't know if you mentioned any of them in your book, but there are a number of nonprofits. Oh, and I, I know there are here in Texas and there certainly are here in San Antonio. Like I said, we, we support some of those and uh, in, in Texas and in San Antonio in particular in New Braunfels area as well that help you. They'll walk you through this. They'll support you. They'll provide, like you said, they'll, the, the advocacy for for you to help you make that transition. And what I'm talking about, folks, is no matter what situation you're in, I mean, I know that there are some, some folks that left and felt like maybe they didn't have any family, they didn't have any hope, and they ended up on the streets. There's a way out. If you're listening to this and you happen to have the opportunity to and you're on the streets, there's a way out. Uh, you can find a way to get your life back and you need to understand that there are a number of organizations out there that appreciate what you've done and the sacrifices that you made for this country. And you don't deserve to be on the streets and you don't deserve to not have the benefits that you're entitled to. So please, please, please take, make the effort, take the effort that to find somebody to help you get those benefits and so I applaud you as well, Jason, for writing that book, writing the, the guidelines to just help someone get, get through that, get, get through that process. Because I understand the longer you're in, the worse it can be. Uh, I've also talked to people who have not been in a super long time, but because of the combat situations they were in, they might as well have been in there forever because their life is so different after facing those combat situations that it's very difficult transition for them to come back. Huge. I mean, you got soldiers that are leaving a team of people, a family, their family members to them, and they're coming out to civilian life. And now instead of driving a tank, they're working at Walmart and there's no camaraderie. And I used to fly in helicopters, but now all you do is fly a desk. And so they get frustrated. They they look back at things. So there's a whole lot of things going on that they're like, oh, man, I used to do this and this and this, and now I'm over here. And uh, so it could be many things uh, that they're going through. Uh, you name it. Mm -hmm. yeah. Wow. That that is uh, that's very eye opening, too, because you know, you're given a real life perspective of what someone has gone through and, and you know what it was like for you as well. So well, where can someone get these books? Well, uh, go to Amazon. So Amazon and my name's Jason Pike, uh, but jasonpike.org, jasonpike.org will send you to my books and my social media handles, jasonpike.org. I've got these two books on Amazon. They're bestsellers. And, and so um, 
I'm pretty proud of them. I'm pretty I'm pretty happy with them. Jasonpike.org, uh, Amazon on Amazon. So and I no, I'm not making any. I'm not making. I put the price down as low as I possibly can according to Amazon. So I might be making thirty cents, twenty. But no, no, that's not really. It's a passion of mine to do this, and so. Uh, no, that's where you can find me, jasonpike.org. Awesome. jasonpike.org. You guys, be sure and go and check that out. It is an incredible story of, once again, a gentleman who should have never been in the military because of the things he had to overcome. Uh, once again, learning disability, uh, then a, a bone disease uh, whenever he was nine years old. And combat veteran, multi-deployments, ended his career as a lieutenant colonel. A great testament to the perseverance that uh, we, we don't see as much as we should. Uh, truly, you overcame so much to accomplish all those great things. And we really appreciate you sharing that with us today. But most of all, I really appreciate you sharing your story, not just here on the Health and Well Power Hour podcast, but in the books that you did, because yeah. that way yeah. people can actually pick that up and go through it and kind of relive some of those experiences with you. And if you don't want to read, I did my audible from me. Audible on audio, Audacity. It's on Audible. It's on Amazon Audible. So yeah, I've got the Audible there. So you can go and if you don't want to read, you can just hear me talk. Mm -hmm. so, all right. All right. And then of course, don't forget his second book, which is more or less a guideline of what to expect when you get out of the military. That is out of the uniform, back into civilian life. Once again, an invaluable resource to help ensure that you get the benefits that you are eligible for as a veteran once again jason thank you so much for spending this time with us for sharing this great story and sharing your knowledge uh, about what military life was like and then of course the transition that you made we sure appreciate it hey you're welcome thank you all right so thanks again folks for joining with us don't forget we've always got lots going on uh, each week make sure you tune in to the health and wealth power hour you can find that on all of the regular places, the podcast on Apple, Spotify. Also, you can find it on Google. And if you want to subscribe and have it come right to your mail each week, go to hwpowerhour.com. That's hwpowerhour.com. Don't forget to check out our audio rooms too. We have stuff going on almost every week. You can go out to my profile on LinkedIn, Harlan Pickett. Go to all my events and see what we got coming up next. Thanks a lot. We'll catch you next time on Health and Wealth Power Hour. We are out. <laughs>